It's been a few weeks since we have posted new content online, and we appreciate your patience as we had an extremely heavy and busy several weeks and were unable to film ahead of time. I also want to thank many of you that I met and talked with who came back to church with us several weeks ago. It was truly a blessing to meet some of you for the very first time uh, and some of you for the first time in quite a while. But in case you have not been listening or uh, have not followed with us in person for a few weeks, I want to make sure you are aware we are in our fourth week of our study of the book of Philippians. We have been being reminded by Paul uh, in this uplifting letter to the church of Philippi to pursue joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. Also, so far, we have seen that we have been given the promise, and this is a promise, not a threat. It's a promise from Paul to each of us that God is not finished with his work in you. God's not finished with his work in you or in me. Then we saw how to pray bold prayers for each other. Prayers to love deeper and to become more discerning, to become wise as we make decisions in our lives that lead to excellence, pure, and to be blameless. And last week we saw, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the challenge for each of us from Philippians 1.21 was this. For me, living is, dying is. What is the hobby? What is the relationship, the collection, the item, the status, the sport that you are actively living for? Because if we are living for something other than Christ, it has an expiration date. Now, I'm an expiration date checker at the grocery store and definitely at home. I know some of you are okay with your salad dressings being a little old and maybe a little crusty, but that is not this guy. If the date has passed, the dressing's gone. If the date is gone, the milk is poured out. Whatever you're living for, whatever brings you pleasure, it has an expiration date. And Scripture says that expiration date is our death from this world. Scripture says our lives are but a vapor. Paul is imprisoned. He is shackled. He is confident of his future. If it is in prison, no problem. He'll keep on sharing Jesus. If he dies, he enters his eternal home in heaven. To live as Christ, to die as gain. The letter from Paul to his companions in Philippi now shifts from some words of encouragement and challenge to how they are to care for one another because of the example that they've been given in Jesus Christ. That Paul is going to remind them of in our verses today. Before we do that, let's pray. God, today we're going to see two themes in our passage that are desperately needed in our world. The past few weeks have reminded us yet again the need for unity, but also the need for humility. God, thank you that Paul is going to identify both of those in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And may we search our hearts today to examine our thoughts on unity, our consideration of others in humility. God, guide us as we continue to walk through these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. I cannot think of any season of my life 
where there is so little unity in any part of our culture. These two words, unity and humility, are really what our country, our world, and even local communities are craving. But they also go against our sinful and our selfish, natural desires. We don't want to admit it, but we don't have to work hard to be people who are aimed at breaking apart unity or inserting our pride or selfishness into a situation. We've been doing it all our lives. Maybe you can't remember it, but I promise you this happened in your life. When you were two or three and you were with some preschool friends and you were playing with that plastic kitchen set in your backyard or a preschool room, I guarantee at some point you busted into the party and you didn't hesitate to pick a fight to establish your turf. You weren't thinking of unity or humility. Unity and humility, our communities are crying for it. Our country is screaming for it and our world is in desperate need of leaders who model it. So today, in keeping with Paul's words to the Philippians, let us examine our own attitudes towards unity and humility through these words. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is speaking confidently to his fellow believers, Christians. Because you have a relationship with Jesus, you should find encouragement, comfort, which means the consolation of love, fellowship, a spirit of oneness and working together. But he also says you should have affection and compassion. We find all of these in and through our relationship to Jesus Christ and in our relationship to other followers of Jesus Christ. He says, if you have all things, have all these things, then make my joy complete. Out of all the things that I would think about if I'm shackled and imprisoned like Paul, my joy being made complete probably wouldn't have made the list. But Paul's hope and joy will be filled up. It will be made complete. Complete my joy by being how? How is his joy going to be completed? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Complete my joy. Fill me up with joy. Whenever I go through a drive-thru, I usually ask for light ice in my drink because I actually want something to drink, not only ice. There have been times when the cup is so full of ice that you take one sip and the cup is empty and I just spent $3. Paul is commanding to his friends, complete my joy, fill my cup with joy. Don't put anything else in the cup to take up the space. Make my joy complete, Jesus, others, and yourself. How would they make Paul's joy complete? How would they fill him up? He says, being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Unity comes from deep within. It's an inner desire. It's anchored to our trust in Jesus Christ. Implanted within each of us. It's a desire to be of the same objective, moving in the same direction. Unity in spirit, one accord, joint souls. We're to live in harmony with one another. That doesn't mean that every person that's watching or every person that sits in a room on this campus on a Sunday morning is going to be your best friend. And it doesn't mean you're going to get along all the time. We run in different circles. We have different interests. But when we enter this room, when we sit with another believer, whoever we're standing by, singing by, made closer to, we are to draw close to Christ in unity. Why is that? Because we are united in spirit. We are knitted together in Christ. We are united in mind, he said, which means our purpose, our focus. We're centered in this place on making disciples and going into the world with the good news of Jesus. If you could at this point imagine Paul as a head coach giving a a pep talk from prison to his team. And the friends of the faith are the church of Philippi. Now every sports movie ever created has the two-minute monologue or the montage or the pep talk from the leader to the students. It might be Coach Boone speaking to his teams and remember the Titans at Gettysburg or Mr. Miyagi giving Danielson his sideline pep talk in the original Karate Kid. Or it might be some of you putting your arm around the shoulder of a kid in a little league game saying, we're on the same team. Let's do this together. Let's go out and accomplish the task. There's a unifying of the athlete, reminding them of their direction. Because we're not prone to unity. We're prone to doing things our way, when we want, how we want. And Paul is saying, listen, do nothing, verse 3, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In my mind, Paul is reminding his friends of what does not come naturally to them or to us. Unity, humility. I envision him as a a cattle herder working hard to get the, the herd into the corral. And not all the animals are pleased to go in that direction, but this is his leadership, guiding them under his care down a narrow path. No one struts their way down a narrow path. Cattle or other herds, they never go through the gate heads up, praising and excited about the narrow path, but they go through usually with a push after being commandeered or directed, possibly even forced through the gate. Paul has encouraged, he has thanked. Now he is starting to push to guide with a heavy hand towards unity and humility because humility is not natural to us. If unity is something we fight in our childhood and make decisions against in many moments of our lives, humility runs way further in front of us, away from us. The next verses that Paul gives us have been 
the subject of entire books. So in no way can we convey completely the power in each of these moments in the verses to its completion. But I do want to help you see the beauty that Paul is conveying to us that through these verses, how we are to live counterculture. But exactly what is needed to radically change our culture is to lead others towards the hope and trust found in Jesus Christ. Not in Paul, not in a pastor, not in ourselves. Paul is declaring the attitudes of unity and humility that what we should do is display as followers of Jesus, Jesus to others. And then he gives us the ultimate example of humility. And it is Jesus himself. Now, many believe this next passage of scripture is actually written as a song. So this is lifting up the name of the characteristics of Jesus. He's going to show us the ultimate example of humility and unity. He's going to invite us to follow Jesus. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now let me just say, if you entered this place today, totally I'm sure of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. Paul just laid out for you the example of humility of Jesus. Again, in a world screaming for unity and respect and humility, Jesus is our example. So let me set the stage to help us grasp in our minds the power of this passage. In a world that we live, the measure of power of leadership of people and politics or entertainment or business is often measured by how many steps up the ladder you can go towards success. I grew up watching my dad climb the ladder of the restaurant business for many years of my life. He, he was an assistant manager and a manager, a supervisor, and an area supervisor. You climb the ladder upward to get where you want to go. There's nothing wrong with that mindset of hard work, of learning, skills, and growth. But what Jesus Christ did is counter culture. It's counter our thinking. You see, he was at the top of the ladder. Actually, he, he was the ladder. He was at the tip top. He, he is all things above all things. And Paul says that Jesus, though, he was in the form of God. He was here. Now, this is mind-boggling to us, but Jesus Christ existed in the form of God, fully divine, full of all power from the beginning and before time began. Scripture says that Jesus was in this role from before the foundation of the world. Jesus, make no mistake about it, has always been and he will always be. He's not separate from God. He is God. But then he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Each of these statements allow us to see the authority, the position of Jesus. But this statement conveys that Jesus had nothing else to prove. 
He could not become greater. He was fully God. Yet now, he would become obedient to his Father and take steps down to us. Contrary to what we would view as becoming great, Jesus started started coming down the ladder. Verse 7, but he emptied himself. Again, our limited minds struggle to grasp this. Scripture teaches that Jesus emptied himself, not giving up his divine attributes of who he is and his holiness. But he chose to begin to come down to earth. He did not exercise all of his rights as God during his time on earth. Instead, he took another step by taking the form of a servant. Paul says Jesus took the form of a servant. This conveys that Jesus took the position of a slave to a master. A servant took on certain rights and privileges, but Jesus came as a doulos, a slave. The form of a servant. The wording here literally means to take the form of something else. And it was used when a stamp uh, was used to create a seal and a document with wax. The wax would take the form of the stamp. An exact replica. Jesus is taking the full form of God. And he's entering this world as a servant. Jesus continues Not to display greatness in the way we would have imagined, but he stepped down, being born in the likeness of men. These seven words are the continuation of the steps down the ladder from his eternity in heaven of creation, stepping down, emptying himself for the time of his divine action, becoming a slave, being born into the world, into mankind of which he created at the beginning of time. The God of creation displayed humility. He walked on the earth as a man. This brings us hope. This brings us a connection, a trust, because 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered into this dingy world through a dirty cave to a teenage mother, and the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Your God is the God who walked this earth as a man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But that's all the way to the ground. Jesus humbled himself. Nobody can humble Jesus because he's God. He had to allow this to be done on behalf of mankind. Paul conveys at every turn the magnificence of this truth that Jesus died, the word became flesh, even death on a cross in the form, in the cruelest form of punishment, crucifixion. It was the most horrific way to die from the flogging, the shame, the extreme bleeding, the horrific condition of the flesh and the body, the trek to the cross, the the hanging of the victim on the cross in public for everyone to see. They would die an agonizing death due to many physical failures of the body. Jesus suffered physically, but His greatest pain was the weight and the suffering for our sin. Jesus Christ is now 
at this passage at what the world would have defined as the bottom of the ladder. But it was there that he redefined humility. It was there upon his death, his placement into the tomb. It was three days later that he started his way back up the ladder. But his death on the cross, his resurrection began to show that although he humbled himself, he never lost who he was in God. In fact, on the cross, he displayed the ultimate power. He conquered sin and death. Humility is displayed in Jesus coming down to meet the needs of us. He's not looking down on someone in dire circumstances. Looking down on them, as we would say in the South, oh, bless your heart. I'm glad I'm not you. No, the example set before us, Paul outlines for us as Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of humility and unity and purpose. And it should be the example and the heart of every follower of Jesus. If we want to shift cultural discussions about race and ethnicity and politics and volatility in the world by climbing the top of the ladder and being the person who screams the loudest and looks down on everyone else, it won't happen. But if you are encouraged, loved, comforted, cared for, and have the same mind, heart, soul, and purpose of Christ, and we need to come down our ladder and enter the lives of those around us. Not looking down and pointing fingers. If anyone had the power to do that, it was Jesus. But he kept coming down, entering mankind, the mankind he created, and dying on a cross. If we really want to shape our community with the grace of Jesus, then we must be willing to step out of our cars, talk to people we don't know, forgive people who don't even desire to be forgiven, talk to people who might even despise us, stand as people of peace in a world of turmoil, excuse ourselves from debates filled with hatred and serve those we disagree with, not to condone, but to come down the ladder. This is Paul's invitation to follow the example of Jesus. Please see where Paul goes next. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The way up, for Jesus was coming down. The way into the hearts of sinful man was, was down. And because of that, then it begins to bring us back up. And Paul is almost singing in verse 9 through 11. The name of Jesus is being exalted. Every knee shall bow. Worship will happen on the earth, above the earth, and under the earth. This doesn't mean that those who denied Christ will worship out of repentance, but out of submission to the power and the authority of Jesus. 
Paul takes us down the ladder of the humility in order to bring us back up to the example of Jesus. To lay out for us, to outline for us the example of humility and unity desperately missing in our world. Desperately missing in our relationships. And then he ultimately points to this grand picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lord worthy of our worship, glory, and honor. C.S. Lewis summarizes that Christ came down in order to put the full burden of mankind upon his shoulders. And in order to do that, he couldn't do it simply by bending over to pull the burdens. He had to come way down and get under the burdens in order to lift us. He says, think of a diver, an ocean diver, who is a person who's diving to retrieve something beautiful and precious. He dives into the willingly, dives into the dangers of the water, deep and dark, cold water. And once he retrieves his treasure, he turns to swim towards the light, towards the air, his lungs almost bursting in need of air. But when he breaks the surface, holding his hand is the treasure that he went to recover. Jesus Christ stepped down, dove down into humanity 2,000 years ago in order to bring us up so that we could worship Him, surrender to Him. This is the example of humility that we're called to embrace. But this is also the example that we're invited to model. If we're going to make a difference, In the lives of others, we must become people who are willing to come down the ladder into the lives, into the messes, into the hardship of others and lead them back into a place of worship of Jesus Christ. Come down the ladder into unity and humility in order to lead people to the name of Jesus. This passage causes us to really, if we're honest, to ask some very difficult questions. Who are the most difficult people in your life to serve? How can you step down in order to display the example of Jesus? Not pointing down, but being on their level. One way that this was reminded to me as I was preparing for this week is humility. The definition here is, Humility is the awareness that we have not arrived. We, as we've already seen in verse 6 of chapter 1, we have room to grow. God is not finished with us yet. And the more we remind ourselves that we don't have it all figured out, the more mindful we will remain of those around us. So if I were to put that in the question, I would ask, who are you, who am I, looking down upon from the ladder? Where am I standing looking down upon instead of getting down? I pray that this glimpse of humility and unity from Paul, written to encourage, to challenge the church of Philippi, would keep us ground level, ready to show encouragement, comfort, affection, sympathy because of the example of Jesus. Remember, Paul is all about joy. Jesus, others, yourself. We are invited to model Jesus. So two ways to apply this passage is to consider, to think. Who is someone I have looked down on or upon 
or someone that I am currently in a difficult relationship with, of that relationship of that person, may we fill in these blanks. I will reject self-seeking pride and will strive to humbly consider, name the person, as more important than myself. Whose name do you put in that blank? Put that a different way. Rather than constantly looking out for my own interests, I will also look out for the interests of. Take a look around you with unity and humility. Examines whose life you need to step into today in order to lead them to a correct, beautiful picture of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this powerful reminder of who Jesus is. That he humbled himself. That he came down the ladder. That he did not remain there. In fact, when he came out of that tomb, he began to climb the ladder back into his throne of eternity. But he did so so that we can have a relationship with Him. Thank you, God, for that glimpse that we needed to be reminded of and need to be reminded of daily. God, help us to not just simply go, wow, that's a beautiful picture of Jesus. But may we also see that this is Paul's invitation for us to be like Christ. For us to model humility and lead others into relationship with Jesus. God, you are worthy of our worship, our praise. Thank you for your word that calls us that if we are encouraged, that if we are loved, that if we are sympathetic, that we are called to be of the same mind, unified, not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but out of a beautiful picture of Jesus, we're called to walk with others and lead them to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us again this week.